We've come in the preaching to Lord's Day 25, which is concerned with the means of grace, preaching of the word and the sacraments. So in connection with that, I'd like to like, like us to read together from a couple of passages in the New Testament. First, we turn to Acts chapter 8, where we'll read the verses 26 through 35. And then our next reading is in Romans 10, verse 5 through 17. First, Acts chapter 8, where we begin reading at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We turn ahead to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, where we'll read the verses 5 through 17. And we'll respond to this reading of God's word by singing Psalm 85, stanzas 3 and 4. Romans 10, beginning at verse 5, where Paul writes, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So... Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. That serves as the basis for the sermon this afternoon is taken from our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, which serves as a faithful summary of the word of God's teaching on the connection of the association between word and sacraments as far as our faith is concerned. So we turn in our books of praise to page 539. And there with the church of all times and places we confess. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. So far, Lord's Day 25. After the preaching of the word, we'll sing together in response Psalm 27, stances 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we often like to ask about origins. And here I'm not thinking so much about family origins, 
even though we might enjoy a good game of Dutch bingo. But it's as consumers living in a consumer society that we like to ask about origins. You're out visiting friends for an evening and you notice in their kitchen or in their garage something innovative you've never seen before. You ask about it and you find out that it helps to cook your potatoes faster or change your oil quicker. It prompts you to ask, where did you buy that? Where did it come from? You want to know its origins so you can get your hands on it as well. Well, the Catechism as well is concerned about the matter of origins. Lord's Day 25, question 65, looks backwards. It begins with this summary of everything mentioned in the previous two Lord's Days, 23 and 24. You need faith alone to be right before God and share in Christ and all his benefits, Lord's Day 23. Good works are not going to cut it although they are still the overflow of our righteous status. Lord's Day 24. So it's faith alone that is required. That's the message you get over the last two Lord's Days. But all of this then begs the question, where does this faith come from? If faith is of such vital importance, if so much hangs on faith, that only through faith I am united to Christ and receive all his benefits. How do I get that faith? Where does it come from? God's word this afternoon is going to make it very crystal clear where faith comes from. It's not something you find on the shelf of Walmart, Costco, or Home Depot. You cannot even find it anywhere on the internet, on your Blackberry, your iPhone. Faith comes from the Holy Spirit. And he uses particular instruments, means of grace to establish and to nurture faith in the hearts of sinners. And again, these are not the latest and trendiest instruments to work faith. He continues to use the tried, tested, and proven instruments he's been using for thousands of years already. He works faith in your hearts by the preaching of the gospel, and he strengthens your faith by the use of the sacraments. Therefore, if you want to know where to get faith, where you grow in faith, God's word this afternoon is going to point out to you in no uncertain terms. Here is where you get it. Here is where you learn to slow down and walk again as a redeemed and righteous servant of the Lord. So I proclaim to you then this word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit works his gift of faith through the means of grace. We'll see that he produces faith by means of the preaching. Secondly, he strengthens faith by means of the sacraments. So first, the Holy Spirit produces faith by the preaching. Indeed, the Catechism doesn't leave us in the dark when it deals with the matter of our faith. Faith is from the Holy Spirit. In the first place, that then tells us it's a gift. 
It's from God. We don't come to it of ourselves. And that means that we can't give it to others for that matter. Elders and pastors cannot give faith. Parents cannot give faith to their children. It's a gift from above. Which is already cause for humility in us. Everything is from God. Christ himself is a gift beyond description. But so is faith. By which we are brought into union with Christ. You cannot think that when it comes to the matter of faith. Now finally that's something I can do. I can show I am willing and able to believe. No. Faith is a gift. And you're unable to believe if you don't first receive that gift. The Holy Spirit gives that faith. And when we have it, we make use of that God-given ability to believe. This is a humbling confession. But it's at the same time a confession that brings joy and contentment to our heart. If faith were something of my own doing... There's not a chance it would last. But the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts, the Catechism says. Your faith can be attacked, can be ridiculed and threatened, but it can't be lost. God's gift is an abiding, unshakable possession because he never forsakes the work he begins. And we hear that every Sunday in the preaching of the gospel. The catechism here is indeed thinking particularly about the sermon. It's a matter of utmost importance for our faith. And the scriptures testify to that. You need only consider, for example, the book of Acts to see that the Holy Spirit powerfully uses the proclamation of the gospel as a means to work faith. For what happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, the Spirit descends mightily upon that house in Jerusalem with the sound like the blowing of a violent wind and with what looked like tons of fire that came to rest on each of them. And everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. What do they start doing? Speaking in foreign languages, declaring the wonders of God. They were preaching the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's not it. The Apostle Peter stands up, addresses the crowd, and he delivers a sermon. He quotes from the Old Testament, from the prophecy of Joel, to show that this day of Pentecost was to come, that Christ would pour out his Spirit upon all people, Peter also refers to Psalm 16, that it pointed ahead to Christ, whom God's people put to death, but who was raised from the dead, imperishable. And now from his position at the right hand of God, Christ has poured out what they now see and hear. Chapter 2, verse 33. And then the Apostle Peter, with divine authority, calls his listeners to repentance and faith. 
What was the effect of this sermon, brothers and sisters? About 3,000 people came to faith, were added to the church that day. Through the proclamation of the gospel, people come to faith. It wasn't through musical accompaniment or a gospel choir or a quavering or trembling of Peter's voice that this came to be. No, the Spirit doesn't work that way. It was through a sermon with Christ at the center. That happens again later on in the book of Acts. Think of what we read together in Acts chapter 8, that well-known story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit himself could have spoken directly to the heart of the eunuch to make him understand the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's not what happens, though. The Spirit works through means. First, an angel of the Lord instructs Philip to go to the desert road that runs down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip does so, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot. The Holy Spirit tells Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip does so, and he hears the eunuch reading the book of Isaiah. And he says he doesn't understand what he's reading. He needs someone to explain it to him. And so what happens, beginning with that very passage in Isaiah, Philip explains the scriptures. He tells the eunuch the good news about Jesus. Now the ESV could have actually put it a little bit stronger here in verse 35. Beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So instead of the Holy Spirit speaking directly to the eunuch, he sends Philip to proclaim the gospel. Cumbersome, you say? A bit tedious, indirect? No, not at all. This was God's way of bringing the Ethiopian to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we, for our part, embrace God's way. For it pleases the Lord still today to use the church and the preaching of the gospel to achieve his purpose. The powerful Holy Spirit works with that gospel. Yes, it is God who makes that word living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Well, then it comes as no surprise what we read also in Romans 10, verse 14 and following. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul, again, is quoting from the prophet Isaiah who's not enthralled or enamored with feet as such. He considers the feet of preachers beautiful because they simply carry the preacher and the good news he's bringing. That good news is for sinful people. And it's only through hearing that good news that you come to faith. And it is only through faith 
that you are righteous before God. Yes, beautiful indeed are those feet. Faith is produced by the preaching of the gospel. That's what Paul went on to say in very simple terms in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, many churches today consider preaching of God's word to be rather outdated or insufficient. To keep people attending church, they modify the liturgy, and the first thing to be downsized is the preaching, typically. It can become overshadowed by boisterous music, personal testimonials, in an effort to stir up the congregation. But what about us here? We don't do that. Yet the question is still just as relevant for us as others. How highly do you regard the preaching? Two sermons every Sunday, the bread of life every Lord's Day. It's rich bread with lots to digest. How long into your week do you work with that bread? To be sure, the Lord uses personal devotions, training in the home, in catechism class, in school to nurture our faith. But it pleases the Holy Spirit to nurture, to use preaching the particular message of Christ you hear on Sunday as the chief means of grace to produce and stimulate our faith. Sunday and beyond, through chewing on what your Lord has spoken directly to you here. Brothers and sisters, let us believe and also acknowledge by our very lives how powerful preaching is. It's really quite astounding, actually. We have and we serve an incomprehensible powerful God. He created everything out of nothing. He called the universe into existence with the word. He created people from the dust of the earth. And yet, he binds himself to the preached word, something which we hear every week. Every week, the Lord places on the pulpit a sinful man with all sorts of weaknesses and shortcomings. And he equips that man to proclaim the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation. The Lord uses sinful instruments in his service to preach the gospel. That's astounding. And that carries with it a tremendous responsibility, not only for preachers, but for all God's people. When we consider that the Holy Spirit is here with us in church, in the, in the workshop of the Holy Spirit, using the proclamation, working faith, then we come before him here with a holy reverence. We come here to listen to his word, to his call for repentance and faith. Really then, none of us may leave here 
in the same way we entered. Our Lord calls for change in our heart. Yes, the catechism says that's where he's working. He penetrates your closed heart with the simple preaching of the gospel that Christ is the Savior of God's people. He continually penetrates your heart in the preaching. And we need that regularly because our faith is often weak and it's always under attack by the church, by the world, the devil. That's why it's so vital that we are always here, even twice, every Sunday. Every time the Holy Spirit of Christ is here in his workshop, we have to be here as well. This is where he uses his chief instruments, his means of grace. That's why we gather to learn how to work with God's word, to learn how to walk in step with Christ, to stand tall against the work of the devil. We need to be here, busy and active, with listening ears, open hearts to God's word. You know, the Lord Jesus said a number of times in his earthly ministry, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, where are your priorities? What do you want to get out of the preaching? Let it be a conviction that you need God's abundant grace. The Lord God wants your full attention when you come to church. He wants you to grow in faith in him. So we ought never to have this fatalistic perspective that it's all up to the Holy Spirit how much I grow in faith. Faith is a gift and it's in your possession and it's something that has to grow. And therefore that's why you come here under the preaching of God's word and submit your life to all he has to say. When you come to church with that yearning, He will never withhold his grace and his spirit from you. He will cause your faith to grow. So we come to our second point where we see that the spirit strengthens our faith with the sacraments. In answer 65... The Catechism goes on to confess that the Holy Spirit strengthens, he confirms our faith by the use of the sacraments. Now, of course, it's true that the preaching of the gospel also strengthens and confirms our faith. Otherwise, if preaching only served to create or produce faith, those who come to faith would no longer need the ministry of the word. And we've just come to see how desperately we do need it. That's the word for our ear. But the Lord does have and uses other means to strengthen and confirm. And that's through sacraments, the word for our eyes. And whereas the preaching has a double function, it works and strengthens faith. The sacraments have this single function of strengthening 
Yes, brothers and sisters, both word and sacrament have the same goal in mind. That goal is the gospel. Question 66 asks, what are the sacraments? And the first part of that answer tells us that the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. This is why the Lord gives the sacraments in addition to the preaching. Through them, he more fully declares and seals to us the promise of his gospel. Beloved, the Lord knows his sheep inside and out. We confess in the Belgian Confession, Article 33, we believe that our gracious God, mindful of our insensitivity and weakness, has ordained sacraments. God knows the remaining weakness of our faith. He knows we struggle at times with believing his promises. And so as our gracious God indeed, he gives us sacraments. The promises of God that we hear with our ears apply visibly to our eyes. God the Spirit gives visual instruction to us, just like a teacher makes clear to his students by drawing on a chalkboard what he's told them, what he's put into their ear. The Holy Spirit is filling us full, working through our senses, holding out for us the promise of the gospel. That's how important he considers it that we understand his promises full well, with mind and heart. He instructs us by those visible signs so that our faith would be rooted more deep in our souls. In baptism, it's the water. Just as water washes away the filth from the body, so the blood of Christ washes away the filth of my soul, which is sin. That is something absolutely breathtaking, the forgiveness of sins. It is... uh, Unbelievable. That's why we have the sign of water to explain that, to confirm that. Even a child can see and understand all that. In the Lord's Supper, there are two signs, bread and wine. Just as one is nourished by that and remains in life, so we receive by Christ's body and blood eternal life. White bread is the sign of his crucified body. The red wine, the sign of his shed blood. The Lord's Supper is a meal that sustains and nourishes eternal life. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness of sins and life everlasting are both promises of the gospel, which our Lord, by the sign language of the sacraments, wants us to learn better. We also confess that the sacraments are seals. They're not only visible instruction about the miracle of the gospel. They're also visible guarantees which confirm the truth and the certainty of the covenant. It's as if God is giving us his own signature 
that his word is binding and absolutely sure. His sacraments are his IOUs. By them, our covenant God declares that he is obligated to make his promises reality. As surely as a covenant child is outwardly sprinkled with water, so really does the Lord promise to wash his sins away. That's a reality for all who receive the seal of baptism on their foreheads. My sins are most certainly washed away. I don't have to doubt it. And so the Lord also shows us the bread and wine. Not only that, we may actually take it, eat it, drink it, as really as that enters my body and becomes one with my flesh and blood. So absolutely real is it that I am one with Christ and that he is one with me. Beloved, the Holy Spirit gives us these things because of our weak faith. You cannot get a more close, intimate, and certain guarantee from your God. And we need this desperately. Yes, already from the beginning, God's people needed this. Just think of the father of all believers, Abraham. He was strong in his faith, wasn't he? The Lord told him to leave his homeland, Ur, and go to an unknown place. Abraham obeyed, no question. God then promised him that he would be the father of a very large nation. But God knew that this promise would make some serious demands on Abraham's faith because he didn't even have one son yet, and he was already well on in years. That's why the Lord took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Even the father of all believers needed a sign in order to better understand the promise of the gospel. It's no different for us. For the Spirit's work continues today. He's pleased to use the sacraments to strengthen our faith. But there's more to say about the sacraments as a second means of grace. After answering the question about what are the sacraments, question 67 raises another crucial concern. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Christ and the cross on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? We have to remember when the catechism was written, people are coming out of the, of the Roman church, the Catholic church, and joining the Reformed faith. <clears throat> the Roman church was and continues to be a sacramental church, <clears throat> which means that there, the sacraments are viewed as the primary means of grace. It was not the sermon but the celebration of the Mass that was the central part of the Roman worship service. So the student in our catechism wants to be absolutely sure of himself. 
We've just said that the sacraments are subordinate to the preached word. So the catechism student in question 67 wants to know if I understand correctly all that we've just said, is it the case that in both the word and the sacraments that our faith is focused on the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross? And so our catechism answers, yes, indeed, absolutely right. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. Both were instituted for the same reason. They both point to Golgotha. The catechism is reiterating, not sacraments, but preaching is first. The gospel teaches Sacraments assure. Well, that means that while the sacraments are are for us to use, they're not absolutely required for salvation. The hearing of the word is necessary for our faith. It's necessary for the spirit to create faith in our hearts. So that's necessary for salvation. No one can be saved without faith. But we can't say the same about the sacraments. Remember, they are seals. Faith clings to the promises of the gospel, and the sacraments seal those promises. Even so... The fact that the sacraments are not necessary for salvation may never cause us to think lightly of them, just like we may never think lightly of the preached word. The highest good, congregation, the highest good is not our salvation. It's the honor of our God. And nowhere is he more honored than by the faithful use of, of baptism and Lord's Supper. Why can we put it that strongly? Every time a baby is baptized, that is a visible proclamation of God's faithfulness from generation to generation. Every celebration of the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the name, the fame of our Lord who he is in his very identity. Brothers and sisters, are you by now impressed? Both word and sacrament do the exact same thing. They're after the same thing. Our complete salvation rests completely on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That's the only basis for our salvation That's why this Lord's Day mentions those words no less than three times. Answer 66, question 67, answer 67. We read of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we will hear it again in the next Lord's Days about baptism and Lord's Supper. From generation to generation, the Lord points us to the cross of Golgotha. That's where Christ shed his blood to obtain our salvation.
to make faith possible. We weren't there, but we hear that wonderful news every week again, and we see it regularly as well. All of this in the workshop of the Holy Spirit. That's why we come here. The Holy Spirit draws you here to turn you from your sins, to turn your attention, your ears, your eyes, to Christ and his one sacrifice on the cross. By both word and sacraments, the Spirit produces and he strengthens our faith. And it's by faith alone again that we are righteous before God. So we may then praise the Lord together that he uses means to build us up in our faith and to prepare us for eternity. We cannot ask for more. So the psalmist in Psalm 27 says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to see him in his temple. That's here in church, Elora Canadian Reformed Church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We hear and we see the beauty of the Lord and the promises he gives to us. So open your eyes and your ears. Come hear and see every week again the only comfort you have in life and in death, seeing and hearing, that's believing. Amen.